Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. We're here for episode 65. We're recording uh, just about 24 hours after Roma's defeat at the hands of Milan yesterday on Halloween. So we're uh, late Monday afternoon here in the United States. So Jimmy, Brandon, uh, was your Halloween any better than the two hours that we had to sit through Roma yesterday? Man, I wish. It would have been nice if it was. No, no, I had a bit pretty laid back Halloween this year. Uh, But, you know, looks like all the kids who were trick-or-treating had a nice time. So can't complain too much, I guess. Yeah, what about you, Brandon? Uh, Sports-wise, it was not a good weekend for me at all because, you know, in addition to Milan beating Roma, I also had um, yesterday my my championship game for the lawyer league that I'm in, and uh, we lost on, like, a last-second goal a minute before PKs. Um, So, like, all – like, and then the Roma game happened after. So, all in all, not a great Halloween sports-wise for me. Yeah, that's rough. But I mean, I guess being a Roma fan should have conditioned you for a, a last second <laughs> loss in your own athletic endeavors. <laughs> yeah, the, the match was certainly a downer yesterday. Uh, the, the trick-or-treaters were, um, you know, in full flight in my neighborhood. First time owning a house this year. And uh, we went through quite a bit of candy. So um, busy Halloween after the match took took my mind off the match just a little bit. But we'll we'll dive back into it now with you guys. But before we get into yesterday's match, we'll just... Uh, quickly talk about Thursday's performance against Cali because it was important. Roma did have a match before this one to kind of set them on the right track. We thought before Milan, I didn't see much of the match because it did happen during the workday, a lot of it. But I have to say my, my one big takeaway was, I mean, one thing I, I could say is that when Lorenzo Pellegrini wants to, he can put this team on his back. Um, and all the people that criticize his free kick taking ability, because he has had some clunkers through the years. Uh, had to eat their words a bit on Thursday. I mean, that that was just a beauty. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And, I mean, we can rightfully complain about some of the offensive firepower that just hasn't clicked so far this season. 
uh, or has clicked in spurts. Um, we had a good couple first weeks where there, everyone seemed to be clicking, but as the season has worn on, a lot of Roma's attacking power hasn't really come through with the goals just yet. But the one player who definitely escapes criticism from these first couple months is Lorenzo Pellegrini. Yeah, and Caliedi, I mean, was important too for Roma because we've seen them so many times go over there out to the island and have such a hard time on Sardinia. And and this looked like another one, huh, Brandon? And then they just found a way somehow in the second half to get it done. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Roma's greatest match by any means. And um, you know, there there was a lot left to be desired in terms of the the attacking quality um going off what Jimmy was talking about a little bit. But in this you know, this month with this brutal three-game stretch against his top sides and, um, you know, you have the Bodo disaster as well. Um, you really just needed to get the three points here and get out and, um, you know, especially against the backdrop of Roma's past experiences traveling over to Cagliari. So, um, yeah, I mean, not the best performance, but um, they got it done. And, you know, credit to Pellegrini for getting that free kick um, goal, which is... You know, it's the area of his game that he's really improved upon because, you know, I can speak for myself. Um, whenever I would see him go up to take a free kick in seasons past, I was like, ah, this is going right into the wall or, you know, no shot. And um, he's really he's really come on this season in that department. So it's um, it's really cool to see for him. Yeah, he even commented after the game something to the effect of when you're not good at something or like, you know, when it's not your best trait, you just keep working on it and working on it. It speaks to the work he's put in into that aspect of his game, because even a lot of his crosses, corner kicks have been much more effective this season, uh, putting Roman much more dangerous positions. And uh, one other little tidbit that was an interesting one from that match was the fact that uh, Felix John, the 18 year old night uh, Ghanaian made his debut in that match. We saw him again yesterday. I mean, I heard on the telecast yesterday, cause I didn't, like I said, didn't see much of the other one. He was playing high school level soccer in Ghana, just like a little under a year ago. So really an incredible story. And, the kid looks like he has some talent, huh, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with the idea that I've been pleasantly surprised with what he's been putting forward at the senior level. I mean, at, when you look at his Primavera record, he only signed for Roma in, uh, like, March of this year. And since he signed for the Primavera squad, he has just been on fire with goals. And, of course, there's, like, the open question sometimes when it's a player of his stature – uh, you know, he's pretty tall. He, he's got like some, he's pretty built for a guy who's 18 years old. It's always, there's always a question of, are you just succeeding at the Primavera level? Because comparatively speaking, you look like a man among boys, or do you actually have the talent to make it at the senior level? Um, I mean, he certainly looks like if he's given enough runway, he could become a piece of this squad I'm not going to go out and say like oh he could be a starter but at the very least he does look like a rotational piece um that Mourinho can use yeah I mean Brandon anything jump out at you with with uh I guess we call Mafena is what he puts on his last name of his jersey yeah I mean so I can't I I have to be honest and say that I hadn't you know seen any of him prior to his debut um just because I don't I don't follow the Primavera as closely as I probably should but um, you know, as soon as he came on, sharp, quick, um, involved in the action, and um, you know, the, there was there he had a couple of chances himself where he narrowly um, missed scoring. So it just shows you that he he's putting himself in the right positions right off the bat. And clearly, you know, 
I, I guess I would say I would love to see, um, you know, some film from Roma's training sessions just to see what he's doing against, you know, the regulars that warranted um, Mourinho trusting him despite him only being around for a year or so. So, um, you know, he has to be tearing up in training as well, which uh, I'd be curious to see what that looks like. But in terms of him coming on himself, um, I liked it a lot. Yeah, always encouraging when these young kids get a look, you know, Mourinho not a reputation of being the most uh, friendly manager for young players. So starting to see some of these players, certainly partially through necessity because he doesn't trust a lot of the players on the roster, but seeing him give it a chance. And even yesterday, you know, he was the first sub off the bench as they speak to something you're right, that he's doing in training uh, besides on the pitch of the Primavera to throw him into a match like that. Uh, just a couple other little Roma news updates before we get into the Milan match. There was an update on uh, Leonardo Spinazzola last week. It looks like his recovery is going well. He could be back to full training, I believe, in a month, they said. Uh, Mourinho did comment on that in his pre-match presser, saying that he's doing well, everything's going well. The, the specialist was at Trigoria for two days last week to check in on everything, and um, they, ha- they have not had any setbacks, but he did not want to give a timetable on Spinazzola's return for obvious reasons coming off that injury. Um, that's certainly a good one. Another good one, Jim, that you picked up on right before the podcast you can fill in the listeners on that one that you found yeah um so according to you know a pretty great a journalist over there in rome it looks like uh Gianluca mancini is going to be getting a renewal um of you know a pretty sizable contract renewal putting him up closer to the uh lorenzo pellegrini tier of contract so uh 3.5 million euros a year plus bonuses until 2026 looks to be what his contract is going to be um which, you know, if you ask me, I'm pretty satisfied with that. Uh, some people, you know, on Twitter were commenting like, oh, he's not even a starter for the Azuri yet. Why is he getting this contract? But at the same time, I feel like it's such a unique position there where Bonucci and Chiellini are still so good and have been part of the Italian national team for so long that like Mancini's time with the Azuri will probably come sooner rather than later. Like, especially if he plays at the level that he's been playing at for the club. Um, so to me, this strikes me as like a pretty good investment in the long term for the Giallo Rossi. And at the very least, it's making it so that if one of these players, you know, wants to be sold or, you know, a club comes calling, they're going to have to give an offer that they can't refuse uh, on someone if their contract is still going to last for, you know, another four years as opposed to, you know, one year or two years, something like that. Yeah, certainly gives Roma some uh, more resale value, some more negotiating power when it's a four-year deal rather than one or two years left. We've seen what happened with Milan, you know, with players on expiring contracts, losing them on a free. And honestly, three and a half million a year for a player who's a starter and one of the leaders on the side is what he looks like he's turning into. Certainly not the worst deal in the world, huh, Brandon? Yeah, definitely. You said it right there. Um, I think I think he's Mourinho named him as his vice captain. Um if not vice captain right under Cristante for that, for that second spot. But um, yeah. And so you, um, when you value a player um, at that level and um, you know, as Jimmy was saying, he's not, he's not in the national squad setup consistently yet, but he's, he's very clearly on the fringes and it's always, you know, he's either that last player in last player out and um still being relatively young, he, he certainly will be in the conversation for a few years to come. So I think giving him a salary of that or a contract of that size, um, you know, it, for, for his detractors, it, you know, you're, you're going to complain about it, but I think 
objectively when you look at it and all the intangibles that he brings to the table in addition to like how well he's been playing this season it's kind of a no-brainer yeah and he's had his ups and downs he is a player that can be streaky at times in his defending and I think in terms of the Azuri like Jim mentioned you know Bonucci and Chiellini have been fixtures so for so long that it's hard to really get into the mix I think Right now, Bastoni is the only sure bet for the Azuri moving forward once those two move on. So Mancini is certainly in the mix. And, you know, this could turn into a real value deal for Roma if he continues to improve under Mourinho and the trajectory that he's on. We saw him against Osimhen last week when he puts in performances like that. Three and a half million a year looks like a good deal. And uh, we hope he would get more performances like that. Uh, One other quick news update. Uh, Bren reported earlier today on the site that Lorenzo Pellegrini is likely to miss Thursday's Europa Europa Conference League uh, trip uh, not rather not trip, but home match this time against Bodo with some knee inflammation. They did show that he did get it taped up prior to the match uh, against Milan yesterday. So hopefully nothing serious there, um, but he did play the whole match yesterday. So hopefully it's just a precautionary thing that he would miss Bodo, um, you know, considering that is a conference league match, not that we can take those lightly anymore after the last time out, but certainly not a match you want to risk players in. So we'll head into the Milan match now. Uh, certainly not what we were hoping for heading into this one, but we'll get into the match background. Roma entered the match in fourth place. Milan was joint first with Napoli heading into the weekend. Many of the weekend results, very favorable for both of these clubs when you when you look at it, you know. Uh, Juve lost another match to Verona. I mean, Giovanni Simeone's uh, otherworldly right now for Verona. Verona continues to be giant killers. Roma can speak to that. Um, the Atalanta-Lazio match was a thriller on Saturday morning with Atalanta leveling the score in pretty much stoppage time to make each team take home one point. So both of them were uh, no better than level with Roma after that match, you know, Inter won and uh, Napoli won, but the teams behind Roma really didn't play that well. So Roma had that little bit of cushion and they would need it. We'll find out in a bit. Um, the two teams played with identical four, two, three, one formations. The one question mark for Roma heading in was whether it be Henrik Mkhitaryan or Stefan El Shirari playing the left wing in the attacking midfield trio um what did you guys think heading in were you favoring Mkhitaryan or El Shirari uh Brandon well generally I prefer El Shirari to Mkhitaryan just um I don't know I feel like every uh all, all the other attackers um that start typically you know they're all they're all quick players and um adding El Shirari to that mix you just will have like a more fluid setup than what Mkhitaryan would give you in my opinion but I also going into it just assumed that Mkhitaryan would start just because he started all the big matches thus far and Mourinho's clearly, um, you know, proving a point with his rotation or lack thereof, I guess. Um, so it wasn't really a surprise, but, you know, generally I do, I, I would have preferred El Shirari from the start. Yeah, in my probables, I, I projected El Shirari, but I, w- I, I did throw in, don't be surprised if it's Mkhitaryan based on Mourinho's um pattern I guess you could say Jim who are you looking at prior to the match yeah I gotta say I mean obviously we've had some horror results in the past couple weeks so some criticisms of Mourinho have been becoming more vociferous um but I haven't really had too many issues with what he's been doing other than insisting on starting Mkhitaryan time and time again I would have chosen El Shirawi for this match um not even because I think that El Shirawi is like the better player than Mkhitaryan. I think Mkhitaryan, when healthy at his best, is by far the better player. The problem is that he's being run into the ground right now, uh, and 
in a in a position where it's obvious that we have the depth to rotate it's kind of like even if you just say okay there are 12 or 13 guys that Mourinho trusts we still can rotate that left winger spot and it's kind of frustrating to see Mkhitaryan who again ended last season just excellently um it's easy to forget that since he's been somewhat somewhat underwhelming this season to start off but he had like I think five matches in a row where he scored um he was just on fire to end last season so it's not just that he's getting older it's that he's getting older and he's being expected to play way too many matches uh so I would have chosen El Shrawi for this match and to be honest when we look at how this match played out it really did seem like Milan was trying to exploit Mkhitaryan's tiredness yeah and in his pre-match press conference you know he talked about Mkhitaryan's not 25 anymore he played against Napoli and then another 45 against Cali and he made that change because he wanted to be more direct with El Shirari and that Mkhitaryan had his full confidence but then when he was asked if he would start he wouldn't say you know if he would or not but uh when the media asked him which lineup would we see against Milan he said it won't be the same but it's not going to change a lot either when in fact it was the same lineup that we've seen in all of these big matches in this stretch so uh, I guess that was him just planting a seed in the back of Stefano Pioli's head to maybe tactically have to worry about a couple looks from Roma. Ended up being the same 11 we've seen in all the big matches so far. Um, Milan, pretty standard lineup. They did go with Kessier and Benacer in the midfield over Sandro Tonali, who's been playing pretty well for them. Um, but other than that, considering some of the injuries they had, it was pretty much the lineup we expected. Um, I'll get into the the recap now, we'll run through the recap pretty quickly. I'll stop and ask you guys a couple of the key talking points, you know, that came up during the match. And then we'll really dive into it in the second half of the episode. But uh, to start out, both teams had early chances. Pellegrini actually had the, one of the first shots wide in the third minute. Um, Kessier followed up with a, his own chance wide in the sixth minute. And it looked like Roma was going to start out strong like they had against uh, Juve, like they had against Napoli. Um, but I don't know, maybe the Nicolo Zaniolo yellow card for protest in the eighth minute when he was tugged down and nothing was called uh, should have been a sign of things to come for Roma because Roma did not have much possession early against Milan. I made a note in the 15th minute that the possession was 65-35 Milan uh, against a very high Milan line that was kind of suffocating Roma. Um, Roma had a good counterattack in the 13th minute where Pellegrini shot wide. It was a fairly entertaining first 20 minutes, but a lot of Milan on the ball, huh, Jim? Yeah, and I got to say, just going back to that Zaniolo early yellow, it's been really, really frustrating to watch. Not Zaniolo's play, but how refs are responding to the fact that Zaniolo has obviously gotten a lot more built. I really think that this is the key here. I think that it was really impressive to see Zaniolo just become a Ronaldo-esque like physical specimen while recovering from his second ACL tear. Like, Props to him for deciding to really take the time to to try to improve as a player. But it sure seems like now that he's gotten so much more built that refs are not giving him any benefit of the doubt when it comes to other players fouling him. There were multiple times, not even in this, just in the Milan match, but basically at least once every Serie A match so far this season where he was tripped or pushed or something happened to him where it was obviously either grounds for a free kick or a yellow card and nothing happens. The ref just ignored it. And I have to believe that it's because he's so much stronger now. Like that's the only reasonable explanation to me why Zaniolo has been getting 
like no calls for him. And then against him, he gets yellows for protests and Mourinho gets sent off for protesting a call that should have been made against in Zaniolo's favor too. Yeah, Brandon, to you, the, the first 20 minutes or so of this match, even before Milan uh, opened the scoring, did it have a different feel to you than the, maybe the Juve and Napoli matches did early? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, you mentioned the early Pellegrini chance and the Kessier chance right after. So it kind of, you know, gives that impression of a little bit of a back and forth um, in the early stages. But compared to the Juve and Napoli matches, uh, I did not feel as good about that um, you know, opening 20, 25 minutes or so as I did in the previous matches. Um, and, you know, that that extends throughout the entirety of the match. There wasn't a, really a moment, and I know we're focusing on the, the first half, but there wasn't really a moment throughout the game where I felt that Roma were dominating the play like I did against U of A Napoli. Um, and so, I mean, you, you can give credit to Milan. You can wonder if it's uh, if it's also a product of um, you know the 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 big game mentality. You know, finally feeling the effects of not getting over the hump in these big games. Um, and so, you know, I think maybe a combination of Milan coming off hot up out of the gates and really suffocating Roma, as you mentioned, combined with you know just the the general. Um, weariness when it comes to these big games. I think I think it finally took its toll on Roma a little bit, especially in that first 20 minutes. Yeah, and shortly thereafter, we saw Rafael Leao make a big impact in the match. He was uh, he kind of had some nice close control in between a couple of Roma players. Rick Karsdorp eventually brought him down just outside the box. Karsdorp got a yellow card, and that meant Zlatan Ibrahimovic was able to step up to the spot. Uh, I guess it was probably from about 20 meters out or so, considering it was just outside the area. And it was interesting the way this play set up because Roma had Jordan Vertu lay down under the wall to deter against a low free kick. You know, the wall set up, I think it was a four-man wall with Vertu laying down. And Patricio still seemed to be cheating more to the side of the wall rather than the side that was not on the wall. And Zlatan being Zlatan, he just, I mean, he took a perfect free kick, low and hard. He forgot all, you know, he said, forget about Vertu laying on the ground because I'm still going to hit it low and hard and hit it to the right of Roma's wall and to Patricio's left. And, you know, Patricio really had no chance of this based on the way he was set up. So I, I'm not a goalkeeper. I've never really played goalkeeper. I don't know if you guys have. Usually Bren's our goalkeeper guy. But how much do you put on Patricio for this one? And how much do you think this is just Zlatan being Zlatan and being one of the best players that he has seen in the last, like, two decades, Brandon? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I'm not a goalie and every time in my life that I have played goalie has been disastrous. So I can't really speak to, um, uh, whether Patricio should or should not have been positioned a little bit better, but I mean, I think looking at the, I don't know, I, you know, Ibra is taking the peak, the, the free kick and Ibra being Ibra, um, you know, I feel like, I, I understand Patricio cheating one way or the other because um, when you ha- have a player of that caliber who can kind of put it where he wants, when he wants, um, you need to be a little bit more on your toes as opposed to, um, you know, your, your generic free kick taker, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I chalk it up more towards, uh, you know, individual brilliance from Ibra, but I also understand that, you know, the, the Patricio criticism as well, but I lean more towards the the former. What about you, Jim? Yeah. I mean, Ibra's obviously 
He's like the he's like the uh, Wario version of Francesco Totti, just like going from club to club, playing at an incredibly high level for an unbelievable amount of time in his career. So you got to respect that. But at the same time, I don't know, from, from at least what the commentators are saying, it sure seemed like Patricio made a mistake there. And again, I'm not a goalkeeping expert, so I can't really comment too much. I was always more of a midfielder when I played soccer, football back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's when you play a team that has a player of Ibrahimovic's caliber as an attacker, whether that's, you know, playing against Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi or whoever, um, when you're playing a, playing against a player of that tier, I would argue that tactically you should be thinking in your head, okay, they're probably going to be able to get a goal from that player through individual brilliance alone. How do we make sure that we outscore them and, and that our other, that maybe they have the best player on the pitch, but we should have, how do we act like we have the second, third, fourth, fifth best player on the pitch and make it so that one player alone can't just will the other club to victory. Yeah. And, and Ibra certainly did because he, he was involved more as the match went on. Um, so Roma was down one nothing after 26 minutes, not seeing much of the ball. Uh, there was one point around the 35th minute where I remember the cu- camera cutting to Zaniolo. He was visibly frustrated with the way the match was going. Roma dodged another bullet in the 37th minute where Leal had another great turn in the box, but Karsdorp got a block on him. And then just a minute later, Leal was called for an offside goal. That would have been a really lovely goal if it had counted because he kind of flicked it over uh, Patricio and then headed it you know, in himself. He almost assisted himself, but it was offside, rightly called offside by VAR. Uh, Roma had a little late push in the first half with a couple set pieces, but that was really all they had in the first half uh, to speak of besides those couple early uh, shots from, you know, Pellegrini that were wide and high. And then um, Patricio had a good save on a Taylor Hernandez free kick to close the half. The half closed with Milan controlled 66% of the possession. So it did not change from the 15th minute on. It was pretty, pretty solid two third possession for Milan throughout the half. They had seven shots, two on target. Roma, three shots, none on target. The passing accuracy was 90% for Milan, only 78% passing accuracy for Roma. How did you feel going into the half, Jim? I was definitely frustrated and way more deflated than I think I've been going into the first half, regardless of whether Roma was up or down after the first 45 minutes so far this season. I mean... Yeah, the match was entertaining at first, which is always nice. Um, It's good to watch pretty football. Um, And I I would argue that Roma and Milan were looking pretty decent to start that first 20 minutes. But it was really frustrating to not see Roma kind of kick it into another gear when uh, Zlatan scored that goal. Uh, If there's one thing that I've really liked about this Roma squad for most of the season so far... It's that when they go down, they really do seem to find another gear. And I'll be honest, I didn't really see that even, you know, even after uh, El Shirawi scored that goal in the 93rd minute, like there were chances here and there that were happening throughout the match for Roma, but it never really felt like Roma really fought to get back into the driver's seat for the rest of the match, which was definitely a frustrating thing to watch. Yeah, Brandon, how were you feeling heading into halftime? Um, yeah, I agree with um, everything that Jim was just saying. Um, going into it, um, you know, I, I didn't. I think that this game was kind of a culmination of the the entire month, and um, 
you know, all the, all the fatigue associated with um, go, these, these big matches and, um, you know, the Bodo defeat and all that. And so going into it, well, I guess to backtrack a little bit going, you know, when Ibra scored, um, it, it was a very deflating goal um, to me, at least just because it's like uh, we're down again and we have to claw our way back out of uh, one goal deficit again, um, which is the, 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 the third time this month um, with um, both the Juve and the Bodo match as well and, and Cagliari. Um, so it's, it's, it's a concerning pattern and um, it really highlights when um, how the offense is just not clicking at all uh, the last few games. Um, and we're having to rely on individual moments of brilliance. And I think, um, you know, faced with a one out with a one goal deficit to Milan, who's who's top of the table and um, riding a confidence high. I wasn't as optimistic um, about those individual moments of brilliance happening as I was in the midweek match. Yeah. So the match went to the second half. Roma not feeling very good about themselves. The counterattacking approach did not work. So uh, Marino decided to change things up to open the second half. And the substitution he made was a little bit of a surprise. You know, previously mentioned Felix Afenijan was brought in for Mkhitaryan rather than El Shirari off the bat. Um, you know, he created a chance early with his first touch. It was a shot Pellegrini put over the bar. Uh, Roma switched to more of a high press, kind of got themselves a little bit back into the match. Um, Zlatan did it again in the 50th minute with a ball over the top from Kyer. Luckily for Roma, that goal was also ruled offside. So, you know, Roma really dodging bullets because a goal conceded two goals offside for Milan. So Milan was still, you know, working Roma in some ways. And then in the 53rd minute, it was Zlatan in the picture again, as he was brought down by Rodri Banez. The referee immediately pointed to the spot controversial penalty call that we'll talk more about after the commercial break, because I really want to get into the refereeing as a whole. Um, the, the call was upheld and the penalty was scored by Frank Kessier. Milan was up two nothing and it looked like there was no coming back from Roma there. Uh, Tammy Abraham was pulled in the 63rd minute and Jean actually became the lone striker at that point. And then uh, Taylor Hernandez actually received his second yellow card in the 66th minute. And all of a sudden Roma looked like they had a bit of life because now it was uh, 11 on 10 and Roma was able to start building back into the match. So with that, Mourinho brought on uh, Carlos Perez in the 68th to get a little more attack and switched a bit of a more of a back three with Cristante falling back and bringing on more attackers. And then finally, Shimordov in the 80th as uh, on for Carzo because they really went to an all-out attacking look. You know, Roma had a lot more of the ball. They got the possession in the end to 50-50 with this numerical advantage for the last 30 minutes or so, but still didn't create as many chances up a man as you would want. They really didn't test uh, Tataransu as much as you would hope because he was labeled even by Milanisti as a potential liability heading into this match and uh, Roma finally did score in the 93rd minute but the match ended 2-1 and it left us with a lot of things to discuss so we'll take a quick commercial break here and then I really want to talk about some of the big happenings in this match all right we're back from the commercial break so we have a lot of things to discuss in this match guys um, you know like I mentioned the final stats it ended up 50-50 after Roma had the numerical advantage Roma put 26 shots or not all, only six on target, 24 total shots. It broke down as 24 shots uh, total, 12 off target, uh, six on target and six blocked shots. So it's something we've seen a lot in recent weeks that they don't really put in a lot of their shots on target. Uh, came back to bite them again. The XG favored Milan in this one. Pretty close to what the final score actually was. The XG favored Milan in this one. I had it here. 
uh, 1.74 to 1.31. So Milan was still favored by the XG even after being up, a, uh, being down a man. So let's get into a couple of these big talking points. So, I mean, first of all, we have to say Roma has lost to a top side yet again. We, we went into this three-match stretch with the thoughts, you know, we need at least four points, I think was what we all agreed on. At least four out of the nine. Get a win, get a draw. If you lose one, so be it. So with only one out of the nine points, has anything really changed? I mean, whoever wants to take this one first, whoever has some strong feelings, has anything really changed under Mourinho? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, I think things have still changed under Mourinho, but I think that anyone who was assuming that this would be a short-term project just because we signed one of the more famous managers in you know 20th century, 21st century football history uh, was kidding themselves. Uh, as Mourinho himself said, you know, I think it was either, I think it was after the Bodo match, uh, there, this is not a deep team and this is a team that is on the edge of champions league qualification. If you ask me, I think that I was hoping back when, before the Bodo match and before, you know, a lot of people got shipped, basically shipped out that Roma could be contending for third place or second place um, with this side. Given what we've been seeing in the past couple of weeks, I don't know if that's super realistic, but again, things can change in January. Uh, but yeah, I think my main comment would just be to exercise caution if possible in dictating whether this club, you know, has changed or improved or regressed or whatever. Um, we're still really in the kind of early phases of not only the Mourinho era in Rome, uh, but also with, you know, the Tiago Pinto era in Rome. I think he's, he's only had like a couple of transfer windows and only one really where he was, you know, given free reign to do what he wanted. So I would say that I still think the Champions League football is feasible for this season. Uh, I think that, you know, a season isn't just the low points and it's not just the high points, but there, this is the reason that matches like this and ma these matches where we weren't able to beat these sides that have been getting into the champions league for the past couple of seasons are an indicator that a Roma really needs that finance, the finances of being in the champions league regularly uh, to come back and B, you know, we're still a work in progress. It's definitely not, we're not in title contention zone just yet. What do you think, Brandon? Has anything really changed? Yeah, I, I'd say, um, I don't know. I think, I think in the past that, the, uh, especially the last couple of seasons, the big game match performances just haven't been up to snuff um, at all. And um, what we, we've had four now um, so far this season, and we've, you could argue that we've outplayed our opponent in at least three of them. Um, so in that sense, I think that things have changed because certainly the last two or three years, um, that wasn't, you, you could not say that. Um, so yeah, you know, and that's in that sense that, that um, you know, things have changed a little bit, but as Jimmy was saying, this is a massive work in progress and um, we're not going to see these results flip overnight, but there's evidence that um, that things are changing. And we've mentioned it a couple of times, but once they get over the hump with one of these, I think the, the floodgates are really going to open in terms of picking up points out of these big matches. Um, so you hope that Mourinho and the squad don't 
what the rest of the big matches um, this season, if they, you know, you, you hope they go into it thinking they, they can win despite this being a tough month because the evidence is there that they, they, that they can play well enough to beat these teams. Yeah. You know, I think short answer, you know, if somebody really wanted to be cynical about it, they could say no, because Roma hasn't won one of these matches yet. But like you guys referenced the performances in these matches up until yesterday, because yesterday wasn't Roma's best performance against the big side. The other three, you know, the Lazio match was bad for 20 minutes and then Roma played pretty well after that. You know, Juve, if we had mentioned in, in that episode, you know, if Roma doesn't give up that early goal, they probably have a really good chance of winning that match. Napoli was a 50-50 match with the league leaders who hadn't dropped points all season. So I think big picture things have changed a bit. I think Roma does need, like you said, though, Brandon, they need that breakthrough in one of these matches just to mentally get that monkey off their back, so to speak. You know, um, you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room anytime Roma's playing a big side. Like, oh, they haven't beaten one of these teams in like X amount of games. And it starts to weigh on the player, especially this season, because I think this season you – do play Juve really well. You do play Napoli really well. And then it's like, well, what the hell do we have to do to actually win one of these matches? Um, and yesterday was a different story, but you know, their next crack comes against Inter. I'm looking at the calendar on December 4th. And then Atalanta shortly after that, um, right before Christmas, I believe they play Atalanta on the 18th. So December is also going to be telling for Roma. That'll be their next two chances to play one of the quote unquote seven sisters, you know, in recent seasons, Adelana's kind of replaced Fiorentina. So, you know, if you don't win one of those two, you go through the whole first cycle of the calendar without winning. And then it probably carries on you mentally. So we have to hope that Roma does pick up a win in one of those two matches, I think, to really get them out of that mindset. But, um, you know, I, I think we all agree that Mourinho is changing things, even if these results are a little discouraging. And, and the thing that, you know, like Jimmy said, Champions League is still a possibility. And, and it partially has to do because Roma has played okay in their other matches to get enough points. But also, I mean, look at the competition. Atalanta's level with Roma right now. Roma technically leads for fourth because of goal differential by one goal. Lazio dropped points again, so they're on 18. Roma's on 19. Fiorentina's on 18. And then it's Verona, Juventus, and Bologna on 15, along with Empoli. So Juve has been really poor. I mean, I think the most disheartening part about not picking up points in these matches is that you see how poor Juve is and we couldn't get anything out of the Juve match. And then you're like, wow, we could have really built up a lead against a team like that, but Roma's still in fourth place. So, I mean, expectations, we all said that we think they can fight for a fourth place. It's not out the window in part because the league is really uh, poor outside of the top three this year. So hopefully Roma can, can fix things, but for all the praise Mourinho has gotten at times this year, I have to ask you, did he get it all wrong tactically yesterday? Uh, Because the first half, and even until Milan went down a man, it was, it was pretty poor tactically, in my opinion. What, what did you make of his tactics yesterday, Brandon? I wouldn't say that he got it all wrong. I think so, you know, first goals, individual moment of brilliance by Eber on the free kick. Um, you can't really legislate when and where the foul is going to occur um, by Karsdorp. So, you know, you, you kind of write that one off and then um the second goal with the PK, I think we'll get into it more later on, but just the controversy surrounding that that very well could have also not been a PK. And those are the only two goals that you gave up in the match. Um, so it's hard to say that, you know, he got it all wrong. Um, but at the same time, Roma, you know, were essentially dominated from start to finish. So in that sense, yeah, he did. But 
um, it's it's hard to say it's hard to say what he could have done differently to um, to improve the situation because even when Roma Milan were a man down, it still felt for some reason like Milan still had eleven players on the pitch and uh, we're we're going toe to toe with Roma even after Mourinho subbed in every single one of his offensive players and um, was trying to attack, you know, the Milan goal. So I don't know. It's really hard to say what went wrong just because so many things did go wrong. Um, and I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, so with the goals, I, I can't, I can say that, you know, I guess Roma did well enough defensively that on another day they don't concede um despite being dominated like that but at the same time um just how much stronger Milan looks you obviously you know there's much there, Mourinho could have done a little better what was your take on Mourinho yesterday Jim yeah I mean I generally with Brandon on all of that like I, I already said I don't think that Ebro goal was going to be stopped and we're probably going to get into I would imagine and spend a lot of time on whether or not they're really was an 11th player gone from Milan's side for that last 30 minutes? Because I don't know. Sometimes it felt like there were 12 to begin with. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I would say that one of the big things that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks is that for one reason or another, and a lot of it really feels like bad luck, uh, the good positions that Roma's offensive players are getting into are not translating to gold right now. And I think that we'd be having a very different conversation if, you know, there was a Lorenzo Pell Pellegrini moment where he was smack dab in front of goal. And I thought it was for sure very early on in the match, just going to be that first goal of the match. And it didn't happen. He was off target. Um, Abraham was off target. And so as much as I can, can say, like, obviously losing 2-1 is not ideal here. Uh it does strike me that a lot of what's going on is something that, you know, if you believe in the law of averages for football, uh, it should even out at some point. Will it? I mean, that's a totally different question. But I, I do think that a lot of this is just horrid luck when it comes to the ball hitting your foot at just the exact right moment it's supposed to. And all those little things that just spin off and create a totally different situation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say he got it all wrong. I do think, you know, in the way they were counterattacking, the counterattack has to be sharper, which I want to talk about the the attack next. But I think what we've seen with Marino in these big matches, I mean, we, I just looked back at the possession stats for Napoli. They were very similar to what Roma ended up with before Milan went down a man. It was about 65%. Napoli, Juve was closer to 50-50, but we saw Juve was content absorbing pressure. So Roma was able to control more of the ball. Lazio was 50-50. I think that's more indicative of those two sides being more evenly matched. You know, Lazio's more on Roma's level at this point, I think. And I, I think Mourinho feels like he kind of has to uh, play more of a counterattacking style in these matches because we've seen Roma play the smaller sides and really be aggressive with the pressing, aggressive trying to cause the attack and being the, you know, the aggressors in the match. And I, I guess Mourinho sees his team's limitations here. And that's, I guess, the way he's looking to attack. You know, we talked about the, Mkhitaryan decision instead of El Shirari earlier so I won't get into that I thought that was a mistake on his part but um yeah I mean I think in part the reason it looked like he got it all wrong was because the attack was pretty atrocious yesterday we have to say 
Um, you know, their shooting roles continue. They only put 25% of their shots on target. But at halftime, they had no shots on target again. Tammy Abraham did not see much of the ball. Um, you know, over almost six shots on target, I was looking at the stats. They only Zaniolo put one on target, and that was late in the second half of the starting attack. So, you know, this attack was really buzzing early in the season. What, what is going on with the attack, in your opinion, Jim? Yeah, man, if I, if I knew, I think that uh, I'd be getting paid a really nice salary by some football club, uh, whether that's, you know, MLS or maybe they would even uh, ship me out to Italy. That'd be great. Um, but seriously, uh, I, I wish I knew. Uh, one of the things that I brought up in the pre-match was, yeah, uh, if there was a goalkeeper that this Roma attacking core could, like, find their mojo against, you would think it would be, I can't even say his name properly, Tadaransu. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm sorry to all the Romanians out there if I mispronounced that. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. No offense to him, but like he's the backup to Mike Magnan, who's supposedly, you know, is good, but like a downgrade on Donnarumma, right? So if there was a moment against the top side where, you know, the dam was going to break, I was hoping that it would be against this Milan. And it didn't happen for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I already talked about Zaniolo not necessarily getting as much love from the ref as I think he should. And I think that that definitely just has like trickle down effects when it comes to how influential Zaniolo can be at putting Roma in the position to score. I'm not even talking about him scoring himself, but like in the Cagliari match, for example, it was things that those runs by Zaniolo that often set up chances, whether that was a free kick, that turned into a goal for Pellegrini or, you know, just a pass to the right player at the right time, like making like kind of a hockey assist. So I don't have an actual answer here about why Roma's attack isn't clicking. Cause it's not that I don't think any of these players are like lacking in quality. It, it really just seems like, you know, someone pissed off like uh, the, the ancient Romans who were buried under Trigoria or something, except this time it's not about injuries. It's about, hitting the crossbar like seven or eight times to start the season. Brandon, what are your feelings on the attack these, these recent weeks? Because it, especially yesterday to me, it felt very disjointed. You know, if you're playing a counterattack, you have to be a lot sharper. I feel like when you break out and Roma just didn't seem to have that sharpness. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Jimmy was saying. I don't think that it's um, one particular um, facet of the attack that is the source of the problem. I think that it's, um, you know, partially a luck issue, partially a confidence issue. Um, I think, but I think the tactics kind of play a role in that, you know, you outlined the possession statistics a little bit and um, these players are seeing so little of the ball overall that, you know, they can't get into that rhythm that they probably wouldn't like. So when they do get the opportunity to get on these counterattacks, um, they're probably not as sharp as they otherwise would be. Um you know, if they saw more of the ball and we probably there's, there's evidence of that with how we perform against the smaller teams when we do have more of the ball. Um, but having said that, um, the, the last couple, the last few matches in particular, um, when we are on the counter, um, you know, cars deliveries in particular are usually pretty spot on. And it's just uh, the question of the finishing um, that leaves more to be desired. So, um, I, you know, I think overall it's probably just a mixture of, um, 
bad luck and um you know lack of confidence but also i think the tactics and the lack of possession probably play a you know not an insignificant role in um in that yeah and then roma did change their tactics in the second half and tammy actually got pulled i think it was around the 62nd minute of the of the match for uh who did he bring on he brought on drawing a blank here let me just double check but he brought on um, El Shirari actually in the 62nd for Tammy. And that's when Jean moved forward. And the funny thing is Mike Grella, who was on the Paramount uh, broadcast, he was talking after the match and he said, it was kind of ironic that, you know, Tammy got pulled in the 62nd minute and the 66th minute is when Milan goes down to man and Tammy probably would have been perfect for that numerical advantage situation with, with his game. Um, but, you know, Tammy only had, I believe 19 touches essay didn't look very sharp. We've seen him miss a couple goals in the previous two matches against big sides, especially the one against Napoli, that, that chance he left begging that would have won, won the match for Roma. So I'm certainly not writing Tammy off yet. He is starting to draw some criticism, though, because he now only has two goals in 11 Serie A matches. Are you worried about him in big matches against some of these better center backs? You know, yesterday he was going up against his ex-teammate Tamori from Chelsea and Kyer. You know, the match before that, Koulibaly and Romani. And the match before that, you know, uh, Chiellini and Bonucci. And he hasn't had as much of an impact in these matches. So are you worried about Tammy at all, Brandon? No, not at all. I think, um, you know, if all the times he hit the post went in, he would, he would be on eight or nine goals, I think. And um, we would be talking about, you know, how well his output has been since he joined. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you can't write him off because these are tough matches against tough tandems of center backs. Um, you know, like the ones you outlined and it's not, it's not just him. That's not firing on all cylinders. So you can't write him off completely. I think that the whole, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the whole offense is a little disjointed. So um, it all, it all kind of, uh, you know, feeds into itself, but I think, especially as Tammy gets more experience in the league and um, kind of figure out, kind of figures out how to, what uh, some of the weaknesses are from um, these center backs, I think he'll be totally fine. And, and we, we've seen enough thus far. I think that um, I, I definitely feel confident in saying that. What about you, Jim? What are your feelings on Tammy so far in big matches than just overall? Yeah. I mean, I'd have more room to criticize Tammy specifically if it was like a Tammy specific issue, but it just so obviously isn't that it doesn't. The only reason why you, why I think that any criticism of him instead of just the overall squad so far would be valid about this issue is if you want to make the argument that, well, he's a centerpiece of the attack. Shouldn't he be scoring all these goals, even if everybody else is sucking. And I kind of buy that argument. Like, I don't think he's completely without blame, but at the same time, he's got to get good service. And a lot of the times it just doesn't seem like he's been getting as good service in these big matches so far. I don't really know who to blame that on specifically, to be honest with you, because it's a team team effort. Like he's going to be, he should be getting passes from more than one person. And if one person isn't able to make the pass, then, you know, there are five or six other guys who should be trying to make that pass happen. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, I'm not worried about him in a short to medium or even long-term sense, because I'm, as I said before, if he wasn't hitting the sidebar so often, we'd be having a totally different conversation which again, just seems to me like it is with the rest of Roma's attack. 
a sheer, like an incredible level of unluckiness more than anything else. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there's like you guys said, he's hit plenty of posts. He's, he's shown plenty of good things. I hope for his sake, he gets off the mark again in the next few matches against like the Venezia's of the world and some of the smaller sides that they're going to play to build up that confidence going into the intermatch, the Atalanta match. So hopefully he can get a goal in a big match. Roma can find a win in a big match. And I think it'll be good for everybody's confidence, but yeah, I think, you know, Venezia might be just what the doctor ordered for this Roma attack on the next weekend, because they've been facing some of the best center backs in the league. And it's gotta be tough when your team as a whole is getting 30% of the possession, you know, you're getting 19 touches in 60 minutes if you're Tammy. So certainly has to weigh in the attack. You know, we've still seen, you know, Zaniolo has been going at defenses every time he gets the ball. So nobody's like sulking and shying away from at the moment. I think, I think it's just, things aren't connecting well. And I think that's something that Mourinho's gonna have to work on in these next couple of weeks, but you know, the big talking point in the match was the, referee Fabio Maresca he's been all over the news and you know there I'll read a couple comments from Roma players after we talk about the the two big incidents obviously were the Ibra penalty when he was brought down by Ibanez um it was called a penalty right away by Maresca on VAR it looked like maybe it was maybe it wasn't Ibanez did get the ball but I guess it was determined that he kind of clipped he um Ibra's back leg on on the you know initial contact before the ball it wasn't the the most egregious contact we've seen in the box so a lot of criticisms there on that one and then there was a another play later in the match in about the 80 some odd minute where Pellegrini went for a ball around waist height he got the ball first and then Kyer came up through his calf ankle area and Pellegrini went down the ball stayed in play for a few minutes never seemed to be looked at by VAR, but in that incident was very similar to the incident that um, Dumfries was called a penalty for on uh, Alexandra last week when Juve was able to level the match against Inter. So what did you make of those two incidences? Do you blame the refereeing in this one? Uh, Because I'll read some of the comments after you guys comment from, you know, Pinto, Mancini, um, and, and of course Mourinho who are seem to be blaming the refereeing a bit. So, what were your initial thoughts on, let's just talk about, before we talk about blaming the referee, maybe we'll just focus on those two incidents. Did you think the first was a penalty? And do you think the second should have been a penalty uh, based on what we've seen called in the league in recent weeks, Jim? Yeah, um, I generally agree with Mancini uh, on this one. I, I think that, and that's not just because he's probably one of my favorite players on the side. Uh, to me, the refereeing overall was a bit of a joke. Uh, the fact that, you know, he was, that the ref Maresca was passing out cards as quickly as he did. um, I don't think that is the way that you should go about just, you know, being a good referee when it comes to these specific issues. um, I think that, you know, the Pellegrini one definitely should have been a penalty. Uh, And yeah, I think, I, I don't think that there's even a, strict Milan fan out there who wouldn't admit that, you know, at least that's a 50, 50, um, call. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, there's not much you can say about how poor the refereeing was overall in this match that hasn't already been said in the past 24 hours. Uh, the one thing I would add is not to be that guy, but Milan's been getting a lot of penalties, um, over the past, calendar year like a lot of penalties and 
a lot of them have seemed pretty ridiculous. And uh, it would it would be a whole lot less likely for me to bring up, you know, Calciopoli and things like that if this league didn't have a history of that being a problem, but it does. And so when we see things go a certain way for one club over and over again, you kind of have to start asking questions and you'd be a fool not to. Brandon, what did you make of the the, the foul on Ibra called against Ibanez and the, the non-call on Kyer against Pellegrini? So the Ibanez one, I you know, I, I think that it wasn't a penalty, but obviously I'm a Roma fan, so I'm more inclined to say that. I think that one's a 50-50 challenge. So um, I wasn't as upset about that one, and I wasn't surprised at all that they, that they gave that call um, for some of the reasons that Jimmy mentioned. Um, but the Pellegrini one is really one that, that, that infuriated me because across, you know, all leagues with VAR and even within Italy, you see them go back to that and, um, and overturn the no call and, and award that pen. You see it, you see it every weekend. Um, so, you know, having said that, I think, um, Having said that, I think that that's that's the one that I had the biggest issue with, um, and I have no idea why that wasn't um, they didn't look back on that one. But um, like I said, nine times out of ten in a different league in a different game, that, that 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 they they go back and they change that and they award the pen. Yeah, so I I actually reached out. We did a, a first time piece, a Q and A Q&A after the match with. Uh someone from another club and I went to Michael Lisi, who's a Milan writer uh, for his, his website, Fosa de Leone. And, and the reason I chose him was because he does have a refereeing background. I've heard him comments on refereeing decisions on some of the podcasts I listen to. And, you know, he said that he thought it was a, a penalty on Ibanez because he did get the back leg first, but if that was not called a penalty on the pitch, it probably would not have been overturned by VAR because it was such a, a close call. And, it's because the referee called it in real time that it probably got upheld. It's one of those things like even in, in, in baseball and football, it's kind of one of those things in hockey, all the, all the leagues have refereeing now, and it has to be clear and obvious er- error. And to the match, uh, you know, replay official wasn't a clear and obvious error on Maresca. So I understand why that call was upheld, but I have to agree with you, Brandon, on the second one, you know, if that call hadn't been made in the, in the inter Juve match last week, and they let it go on Dumfries, you can understand why it would be let go in this one. But if you're calling one thing one weekend and it's almost an identical play the following weekend, how does it not get called? And that and that's not, you know, on Milan. That's not on Roma. That to me, that's on the league because the league has to be more consistent in what they're looking for. You know, when you watch American sports, I watch I've been watching a lot of the NHL lately because, you know, the season restarted and you hear, you know, the league is cracking down on cross checking this year. The referees are calling that same cross check in almost every game consistently. So the players get the idea, this is what is not acceptable. This is what is acceptable. And it seems like in Serie A, we can't find that place where a couple of years ago was the handball issue. You know, you, you, they'd be calling handballs like, you know, I was giving out Halloween candy last night. Every little thing was a handball. Then they realized, you know, we have like 50 more handballs than in any other league in, in, in the land because we're calling every little touch a handball. And now it's a call like this. If, you know, Dumfries gets called and costs Inter two points in that match against Juve last week, it was one of those things, oh, Juve gets another penalty called their way, but then Milan gets a no, no call their way. So, you know, it's, 
I think more infuriating when there's no consistency in the league rather than saying, you know, they're favoring this team or that. I think the referees have to be more consistent with it. Um, Mareska wasn't good yesterday. You know, could Milan have a gripe on the tail play because uh, Krunic was pulled down before the play that led to tail second yellow card? They could have had a gripe too. So it wasn't just one way or the other. I think there was some combination of things. I think it hurts more as a Romanista because Roma lost the match. And one of those plays led directly to a goal and another one could have led directly to Roma's tying goal. But the lack of consistency is certainly infuriating uh, from, I think, many fan bases standpoints, you know, uh, and it always hurts more when you come out with a loss. And, and Roma's comments after the match spoke to that. I mean, Jose Mourinho, this is literally his quote after the match. And this is all he said after the match. And, um, you know, the question was, just like the game against Lazio and the game against Juventus, this one seemed to get away from you in the first half. And his comment was, well done to AC Milan. I don't want to say anything else because if I do, then I won't be in the dugout for next weekend's game. I'm a bit annoyed about the lack of respect shown tonight for our fans, for all those who love this club. We had that respect in a game where we didn't play brilliantly, but at least we tried everything to get back to the game. That respect for the contest, which we showed throughout, others haven't given us tonight, and that annoys me, and that's all I have to say. Clearly, those words are pointed at Maresca. Um, you know, Mourinho has the the reputation of having that bunker mentality where he'll get his team in a bunker mentally and it's us against the world and sometimes that'll work it'll come off really well and motivate the team sometimes you know it it could really get old real fast we'll see where it goes this time around but you know his words were followed up by Mancini who's one of his you know favorite players we've seen so far um he you know his quote after the match I had it here he pretty much said the, the foul on Pellegrini was, was 100% a foul. You know, it, it's a joke, you know, and the one on Ibanez definitely wasn't. We share Mourinho's anger. You know, the episodes, everybody's seen them, you know, and I think he even said something to the effect that we want to be the Premier League, uh, if I'm thinking of the right quote, but yet we, we have the, these issues every week. So, you know, we see that that's echoed. And then even today, Tiago Pinto sat down and actually spoke about the controversial moment. So he was asked, you mentioned controversial moments and incidents dealt with in different ways. What moments are you referring to specifically? Um, And he said, I don't want to start reciting a long, boring list in football. There are always incidents where the interpretation is very subjective, but there have been at least four or five examples that have been very clear and are worrying. We have seen Lorenzo Pellegrini, the Roma captain, miss the Derby because of a second yellow against Udinese following an incident that we have all seen many, many times in Serie A without even ever receiving the same punishment. In the Derby, then, we should have had a penalty for a foul on Zaniolo in the build-up to the goal that eventually made it 2-0 to Lazio, where at the time we were told that VAR could not be used because it can only be used when there is certainly that mistake has been made. Yet against Milan, it was clear that it wasn't a penalty on Ibrahimovic. It was not a foul. Ibrahimovic, uh, rather, Ibanez touched the ball, and VAR called the referee over to watch the incident again because the mistake was clear. Yet once again, the decision went against Roma as the referee stuck with his initial choice in terms of penalties in the last few minutes of the game, there was also one on Pellegrini after contact from Kyer, but perhaps because VAR was ignored for the one on Ibrahimovic beforehand, it was decided not to intervene again on that occasion. Yet if we think back uh, two weeks again, when interface Juventus VAR intervened in a far less clear cut moment of contact to give a penalty against Inter that changed the result. We are once again talking about contradictory decision-making that invariably seems to go against Roma and he can, and he'll finish up uh, finally this weekend in City. All the referees seem to play advantage and wait for VAR to provide a clear decision on any dubious incidents afterwards. So this is another area where, unfortunately, the only time a referee has decided not to play advantage in such situations was against us when Tammy Abraham scored in Turin. 
versus Juventus. I do not want to talk too much about individual incidents, but I think these four are all very clear where the decision-making has always been different yet has seemed to go against Roma every time and cause us damage. So a lot to digest there uh, in terms of Pinto, Mourinho, Mancini. I mean, do you think they, there are incidents clearly going against Roma? Do you think this is maybe a little bit of gamesmanship on the Roma front office trying to get the referees thinking before they referee Roma matches? What do you think it is, uh, Brandon? I think it's a little bit of the gamesmanship, but also I think it's just um, the the club trying to bring attention to the to the refereeing um, displays across across um, the league. And you know, we talked we just talked a little bit about it, just how the the standard of refereeing is just not up to snuff compared to some of these other leagues. So I think it's you know it's it's kind of one of those things like. Uh, like Jurgen Klopp did with Man United getting a ton of penalties, calling it out and helping to um, reduce the number that they were getting rewarded. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's um, in line with that, but also I think it's just a general matter of drawing attention to the issue. And it's, it's good to see that everybody's on the same page with this because um, you know, it, it's, it's been a tough month and it's, it's very early on in the Mourinho tenure, but, um when when you have some deflating results like we've had the last month um that's when you can kind of start seeing some friction in the dressing room they're all clearly still very much on the same page probably minus the players that have been banished since the Bodo result but um the, the the rest of the squad I think everybody's on the same page in terms of the message they want to get out there yeah what do you make of these these quotes from Mourinho from Pinto Jim uh, even some of the players yeah, I mean, the first thing is that it's clearer and clearer to me that I don't think that we're going to see a situation where, like we would in the Pelota era, where like a series of bad results might result in like a panic firing or something like that. You know, the way that everyone is kind of taking the company line is an indicator that you know, they're going to try to be a bit more patient. And I think that part of that is probably because this is the Friedkin group's first hiring. Part of it is just simply probably because of Mourinho's salary. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a relief to see everyone from players upwards saying the same tune. On the other hand, I mean, I don't know, for years, like going back to the Rudy Garcia era and before, I have often felt as if, refereeing has been questionable against Roma in big matches and whether that was you know the violin incident with Rudy Garcia or pretty much like a lot of those matches against Juventus when Roma was at the was basically the only club worth a damn in the in the league other than Juventus uh, they were often decided by some pretty questionable refereeing work and I don't know if that, I don't want to call conspiracy on it, but I think that coming out and saying refereeing is being done inconsistently and it almost always seems to hurt Roma, particularly against other big clubs, is an important thing to say. Uh, at the very least, it you know might make referees think twice before, do, before making a decision that could be a 50-50 and if they, if they know that on if they keep on making 
calls go against Roma that they're going to get flack for it. I think that's a good thing. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy that Pinto specific, went into specifics from, you know, like the past month and a half of why some of these calls were pretty messed up because it gets really frustrating to follow this club when so much of these poor match results can be boiled down to, oh, well, if this card hadn't happened at this time, or if Pellegrini had been available or things like that, that don't necessarily feel like they were deserved cards or deserved fouls or deserved onside goals and things like that. Yeah. And I think it's important too, um, that Pinto sat down the next day to talk about this too, because, you know, Mourinho after the match, Mancini after the match, you know, a bit of a blood rush to the head, you know, you're angry, you lost the match, you're angry at the referee for good reason in some of these incidents. But Pinto even said in one of his earlier quotes, which I didn't read is that he felt it was important not to talk immediately after the match because, you know, he's always quite tense. And uh, especially after very even matches like the one yesterday, as he called it, that he needed a clear head. And I think you're right. I think it's important that they pointed these things out. It's, it's interesting too, that he pointed out that referees these days are taught to let things play on, but in the Juventus match, it wasn't a play on for whatever reason. And then he pointed out specifics. And I think it, it is a bit of gamesmanship. I think it's part frustration, but I think it's also someone high up in the club having this, you know, get up there and say, you know what, enough is enough. We feel like we've been wronged enough times that we have to speak up and hopefully that plants a seed in the referee's mind. And I'm not looking for any favoritism Roma's way. I, I think we all just want fair refereeing. I think that any sports fan just wants things to be even, you know, everybody likes to win matches. We want to win matches, you know, fairly, um, you know, maybe some, some fan bases would, would, go otherwise and say, just give me the damn title and I don't care how we win. But personally, I like to see things called, called well. I hate to see referees make spectacles of themselves in the match. And Mareska certainly did that. I mean, he threw 11 yellow cards in the match. I counted um, when I was looking at the stats today, more against Milan, actually Milan, I believe had seven, including the double yellow on Teo Hernandez, where I'm only at four, but some of the ones he, he called and that weren't yellow cards, like the Ibanez incident was never, not a yellow card, but it was still a, a penalty in his opinion. Uh, tough calls. So I personally, though, don't blame Roma losing this match on the referee. I cannot say Roma lost this match of the referee. It did not help matters, but I have to say, in my opinion, this was the worst match Roma's played in the league campaign. Bodo match aside, because that's different can of worms, different players in the pitch. In terms of the 11 players that see most of the playing time for this team, I thought this was their worst match of the season. You know, Verona was a tough loss, but I thought Roma was a bit better in attack. You know, the Lazio match, I like the fight back a lot better than this one. You know, I thought Lazio, uh, rather Napoli, the draw was a hard-fought draw. I thought the Juve match, they were a bit unlucky. This one, I, I didn't feel like they had a chance. And we mentioned this during the recap that they didn't feel like they ever had a chance to come back. So one thing that's a little annoying to me is that there's a lot of people on Roma Twitter right now saying, oh, you know, if it wasn't for the referee, Roma wouldn't have lost this game. I, I don't feel that way. I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't feel that the referee lost Roma in the match. I just don't think it helped Roma find a way into this match if that makes sense yeah I, I would generally agree with that statement I don't not to be that guy but I as much as I've been whining about the referees this podcast uh winners find a way to win right uh I I hate it when uh when Juve fans say like Fino Alafine but like to a certain extent that's true and as much as there were a lot of calls that I would have changed from yesterday's match, 
it would have been a whole lot less of an issue if, you know, Roma had more shots on target or they took the chances that they had and turned them into goals. Um, you can't, you can't count on the ref being impartial, it seems like. So you got to make sure that everything that's out of his control goes your way by, you know, just getting the goals and stop and playing good defense and things as simple as that. And yeah, I, I, I agree with the idea that I think Roma could have gotten a draw yesterday. I think that's fair to say. I think a draw could have happened. Uh, I don't think Roma was looking impressive enough yesterday to get a win. I think that's fair. Brandon, what do you think? So I think that um, it, I, I don't know that it, it was the worst match of the campaign as a whole. I think it's easily the worst of the three big, the four big matches that we've had this far. Um, I think though that the Verona loss, I don't know. It's it, Verona is not, is one of those teams that you should be beating. I know they recently, you know, they've been kind of giant killers the last few weeks, but um that's a game that you always should be winning. So um, with that in mind, I'm always inclined to say that that was their worst match just because that was, you know, your standard winnable game. But in terms of performance, I probably would say that yesterday was um, the worst result because, you know, we've gone down quite a few times this season. And um, every time we do, I'm always, I, I always have a feeling that we'll, that will um, either equalize or come back to end up winning the game. And more often than not, that's proven to be the case. As soon as we went down yesterday um, and I, I felt this way going against Juve as well, as soon as we went down, that was kind of it in my mind. Um, my, I, I got my hopes up again once uh, Teo got, the red card but obviously when you wait till the 93rd minute to score to get that first goal back you know it's it's not going to happen for you so um you, you know I, I guess overall I would say that it was the worst match performance wise in terms of um the context of the season I would say the Verona result is one that you'll re regret more but um definitely um a disappointing conclusion to this three game stretch that we've had with these big clubs. Yeah, I agree with you that the Verona one is more of the, the one you'll regret in the end, but yesterday. And, and the thing is you mentioned, you know, tail got the red card. Roma had 35 minutes plus stoppage time up a man and Roma did not do anything until the 93rd minute. And they really didn't start threatening the Milan goal. I really feel like until like after the 80th minute or so, I know Mancini had the one really hard shot down Tataransu's throat, but that he had no choice, but to catch. I mean, nobody was, that ball was never going in because it was straight at him and a couple other chances, but, you know, in some ways, when you're up a man, you need to grab the, the the match by the scruff of the neck, as they say, and really just put balls in the box, pound it. If if Milan's going to stand there and block shots all day, shoot them right off of Kyer's head, shoot it off someone's face, make them, make them regret blocking the shots. Roma so often just puts so many balls wide over the top, you know. Um, so I, I can't blame the referee. Like I said, when you have 35 minutes up a man, you know, the referee helped you in a way too. And, you know, yes, the, the penalty – some may feel as harsh, but you got to make your own luck. And, and I understand why there's complaints after the match, probably mostly out of frustration, but you, you can't say that's why Roma lost the match because even before the referee got in the middle of it, it, it was on Roma that they did not perform. We saw for quite a bit of time, um, you know, and they're going to have to bounce back. It, it, it's as simple as that. So um, we'll look ahead now real quickly before we wrap up. And uh, Roma has a couple matches before the international break kicks in. 
They have Bodo comes into town on Thursday and then Venezia early on Sunday here on the East Coast at 6.30 a.m. Luckily, we have daylight savings. So if we do wake up for that one, it's actually 7.30. Our bodies will think, even though the clock will say 6.30 because we do fall back an hour. Uh, and then the international break comes. So Bodo on Thursday, <laughs> never would have thought I would have said this a couple weeks ago, but this actually looks like a big match now, especially from a pride perspective and, and having some dignity as a club. And then uh, Venezia on Sunday, newly promoted side, battling the relegation zone. What are you looking for in those two matches coming up, Brandon? So I think, you know, Bodo uh, <laughs> Mourinho is going to want that to be a statement game. So I fully expect uh, the, the strongest lineup we can put out there to be out there. And you would hope that they take care of business, but um you know, it's, you can't really, you can't really um, assume anything, especially against a team that beat you 6-1 not too long ago. So I, th- I think, you know, that we'll get the, the full strength squad and then Venezia on the weekend, you might see some rotation, but again, I doubt it because it's followed by the international break. So um, in that sense, I could just see him saying, forget it. We're just going to play through it and you guys can recover over the next week or so yeah jim what are you looking for in these next two matches oh well, i mean obviously from that venezia match I'm, I'm looking forward to the beautiful kits that they're wearing have you guys seen those man oh man those are nice um but yeah i agree with brandon uh and i agree with you steve i think that these are matches that roma needs to win emphatically both times i'm hoping that roma can you know do what they were supposed to do against Bodo uh, in Glimt or wherever that town is in Norway uh, and rack up some goals and then maybe take the pedal off the metal after, you know, about 45 to 60 minutes. I'm not expecting that, but at the same time, there are a lot of factors that are making this match easier for Roma than it was to go up to Norway in the freezing cold. Uh, So there are some things here that can make you cautiously optimistic against Bodo on Thursday. As for Venezia, they need to get the three points. Uh, we need to get a win. And again, I, I was hoping that Milan might be the match where the offense comes unlocked. If the offense doesn't come unlocked against Venezia, I, I won't really know what to think because this, this screams a match where you could win 3-0, 4-0 if you just get your shooting boots on. Yeah, and um, I, I forgot to mention too quickly before about the refereeing. Maresca is likely to be suspended one or two matches. So clearly he made some mistakes in that match um, just to you know, hammer home, I guess, Pinto's point. But in these two matches, you know, I think Bodo, the thing I'm curious to see is how many changes does Jose Mourinho actually go with in this one? Because he changed almost the whole team up there in Norway and the team got embarrassed. And now four of those players that actually played in that match have been relegated to the stands, not even uh, playing, you know, a role on the bench. So it'll be interesting to see. I do think he still makes probably four to five, maybe six changes because you do have to rest some of these guys, I think, you know, some of these guys are going to get run into the ground. This could be a, a Mac match where uh, a Fennijan gets a start, you know, maybe Darboe gets a start. So I'll be looking for those kind of things on Thursday um, as I try to catch as much of it as I can in between parent teacher conferences. So the Roma schedule not lining up very well with my calendar. Uh, and I'll, I, I'm planning on waking up early on Sunday morning. And I really hope I wake up to a Roma, um, hopefully fairly emphatic victory, at least a two nothing three, one kind of match. Uh, because they need to right the ship a bit. Um, not that the ship is sinking by any means, but just to just to bounce back. Because after a, a rough stretch of it, 
four matches in October where they got four points out of 12. If they're going to fight for fourth place, these are the matches they need to win road match or not. Venezia is not playing very well so far in their uh, return voyage in Serie A. And yes, Jim, the kits are beautiful. I'm assuming we'll see the black, green, and orange ones in this one, which are, are very nice. Um, and then the return, the return fixture, we'll get to see one of those other beauties that they wear. But, um, you know, Rowan needs a win. It comes down to that. It's as simple as that. We'll be busy at CDT again this week. And then, uh, you know, after that, we get a little bit of a, a downswing with the international break. And then Italy will have some big matches they need to win. So I guess no rest for the weary for, for us. And uh, anything you guys want to leave the, the readers with and the listeners with before we head out? I'm seeing two, two head shaking. No. So, you know, just keep up with all of our coverage on uh, com. We thank you all for listening as, as usual. And, uh, you know, let us know what you thought about the refereeing in the comments and on Twitter and uh, all the big talk points. Cause this one certainly had more talking points than some of the, the recent ones. So thanks again for listening and we'll catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.